Two Girls, One Podcast, a weekly internet audio broadcast whose most popular audience demographic is Woodland Creatures, ages 18 to 34. And now here are the only podcast hosts who identify as very tired, Lindsay Ford and Allison Goldberg. And I'm Lindsay. That's right. If you missed last week's episode and the one before, you're going to be confused. Go catch up. <laughs> anyway, uh, we are the two girls, the new two girls of this one podcast. Welcome. Uh, today, we are looking at something very fascinating that I've been curious about for so long, but is kind of a tricky subject, and that is yeah. other kin. Yeah, and if you don't know what that is, I'm sure you're not alone, (laughs) but we're going to be exploring it today, so just sit down and listen up, and I'm sure you'll learn something. I know we are looking forward to learning something. So Otherkin are people who believe... No, let me take that back. Otherkin? No, I don't know. Okay, I think I can do it. Okay. Okay. Otherkin are human believe mm-hmm, that they mm-hmm. are something outside of human homo sapien. Yeah. They believe they believe there's something outside of that. So it could be that they believe that they're truly a fox or they believe that they're actually a wood nymph. It's just they don't identify as purely homo sapien. Yeah, I think the word you're looking for is identify. There we go. Other I don't know. Is it, an identity, I was having right? trouble because I said they're people, but then I was like, but do they think they're not? Pe-? It just got confusing for me right out of the gate. Right <laughs> out of the gate. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that all of them think that they are people. Right. But it's mostly like an, uh, I don't even know. This is what we have to ask. It's, yeah. it's internal mostly, like an I, an internal identity that you have to like accept and nurture. Yeah. And so I'm curious how much it's like literal and they are, they want to get surgery to like match their internal identity or is it more like Native American, like spirit animals? You know what I mean? Or there's this book that I love it's called Unlikely Friendships. It's a picture book. <laughs> it's like a coffee table book. And every page is I like, this book. do you know this? You know it? It's so this good. Is- <laughs> it's like a duck hanging out with like two giraffes. And then the next page is like a hippo hanging out with a turtle. And they're like best friends. You know this book, Matt? <laughs> this is a book that, um, you know, like a mom would have who also has a live, laugh, love uh, uh, sign on, on her living room. She's That's got what, the, who like, this book is for. I have, the, the, a, I have a dear paces. friend. I have a dear friend who is incredible. But we joke about how when we first met, we thought we wouldn't be friends. And she's <laughs> Uh, the most amazing human. But so I got her this book one day. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you know, is it just kind of like, I don't know, there's these stories of like animals in nature, like thinking they're another animal. Also, has anyone seen the documentary, The Jungle Book? 
<laughs> that's, that's, I, let me, I'm sorry. That's not a documentary. That's a, um, it's an animated film. No, no, no. Oh, it's sorry, live action. I no, saw it. No, did you say live action? This is a documentary, yeah. Matthew. That's a documentary. Yeah. I, and, there was, it was live action. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. it said. It said live action. He's a Documentary series. also, you know, lives with the animals. What's the other one where the boy is raised by wolves? George, George, George of the Jungle. Mm-hmm. Tarzan. <laughs> <laughs> I sang the wrong song. It's Tarzan. I don't know, but I saw that Tarzan's documentary too. Tarzan's raised by gorillas. <laughs> yeah. What, what is happening? I don't who's know that, where, who's that what guy? did we do? Who's that guy from George of the Jungle? It's Tarzan. <laughs> it's Tarzan. It's actually Brendan Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> also a documentary. Also hey guys, yeah. Matt, documentary. Matt here. Thanks for introducing me. Hey, I'm, I'm, so I'm on the podcast too. Yeah. We're not oh sorry. sorry. We're not sorry at all. Precedent. We're not sorry at all. None of us are sorry. <laughs> Guys, Matt's kidding. here. He's not Matthew a girl is yet. Here. Not yet. But not yet. You he never could know. identify as one. He could do whatever he wants. That's right. As long as he doesn't hurt anybody else. Do you guys remember Dancing with the Wolves? Yes. What's yes. that about? I don't remember. <laughs> It's Kevin Costner being a white savior to Native Americans who didn't ask for him to be there. Mm. Also a documentary. Also a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that one's different. That one's different. Did anyone see The Lion King? Ooh, that one was also a documentary. And I've seen all the versions of it. The best one is called Black is King by Beyonce. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite version of The Lion King. Yeah, I'm into Mm -hmm. that version. So Mm -hmm. that's what we're looking at today. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) No. And now all other kin who are listening to this first hate they us. They turned off. They but hate I it. Promise Please skip this part, other kin. We will be much more interviews. respectful. We're going to be, it's going to be great. I, I am excited to learn more because it's something that I don't understand. And so I think it's good to chat with the source. In this case, source is. Uh, we have two interviews today. So buckle up, bitches. Double. Double. Um, Anyway, the world kind of opened up. Uh, Lindsay, did you do anything wild that you didn't invite me to? (laughs) Um, Well, Allie, most of the things I do that are wild involve you. Um, But, (laughs) you know, as you are a person without color, this weekend I celebrated (gasps) Juneteenth without you. It was a very big weekend. (laughs) It was. Not only was it the world reopening, but also Juneteenth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Freedom, freedom, let it ring far and wide. Uh, I went to Lemert Park, which is a vibrant black community in Los Angeles with my other melanin sufficient friends. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. No, just kidding. It's all right. Yeah, no, it's fine. I love all these terms. It was great. It was great. Um, We painted art pieces. We danced in the streets to... What I believe is going to be the song of the summer, it is Before I Let Go by Frankie Beverly Amaze. And yes, it is songs that are older than me, but I love it. And I believe mm-hmm. it's going to be everywhere this summer. All right. Calling it. 
my favorite meme I've seen so far about Juneteenth is about the Republicans who like didn't want to make it a federal holiday. And the meme was like, Republicans are so racist. They didn't even vote to get a day off for them. Like, every, you know what I mean? Like everyone would, I thought that was so good. It's like, yeah, everyone would get it. Everyone get it. To day. That's the idea is you all get a day off. Like yeah. you're so racist that you don't want a day off. It's because they know they're going to be guilted into volunteering for black organizations on that day. It's like, they're not just going to take the day off. It's going to be like, they'll say no, you know, they'll say no. (laughs) Make it like every other day where you don't work and you don't help people of color. That's fine. But like, at least those people of color aren't also having to work while you don't work. (laughs) Was it so fun though also because it was the like because it was it's recognized as a federal holiday for the first time and it coincided with la reopening was it just like wild oh yeah it was it was so beautiful because i'm very small and i hate crowds because i'm small and people bump into Mm me and they like literally just a bunch of backs all the time yeah I mean if i'm lucky if it's a tall crowd it's like a lot of butts real close to my head (laughs) but you know, it was just so nice because everybody, like, we were kind of, like, close together, but people were, like, moving in and out. If somebody bumped into you, you would, like, turn around and literally get hugged. It was incredible. Did you get any dude's numbers? No, but I met, a, I met a lot of beautiful women who were wearing awesome clothes, which I guess is... What you do in your 30s, you just feel very confident complimenting people's clothes and straight up being like, where did you get that and how can I get one? I've been doing that forever as long as it's a onesie. It's true. It's true. (laughs) What did you do now that the world reopened? Did you do anything fun? Did you buy lunch for a black person? (laughs) Well, I bought you dinner last week, so. Oh, my God. That's so true. I mean, y'all, don't celebrate her, white ass. I was listening to her do her stand-up and giving she her feedback. Home, so she also brought lunch for two other white ladies. But mm. also, I appreciate it, and it was a delicious salad. Anywho, um, no, I I, um, I was really excited to go bar hopping because the world's open, and then I went to bars and remembered I don't like bars. And I did the, <laughs> I did the same thing like three weeks ago. I was like, oh my god, people are going to bars, like outside bars, like let's do this. And then I went, and I was like, oh, I don't like bars like why am i doing my i started drinking i didn't drink for like two years because my insomnia and i started drinking again and my sleep got kind of weird so i i stopped drinking so i don't know it's just people standing around you know me i like going to weird events i like going to galleries and openings and hikes and weird shit so anyway so so that's it i i remembered that i don't like bars but something else i don't like is trivia and it's time how was that transition? Did you guys wow. did you love it? Did you hate it? Did <laughs> you love it? Did you hate it? Incredibly well done. Uh, good news. No trivia today. We got a lot to cover. Oh, fuck yeah. It's a good day. Okay. Hey, hey, hey. Now that we found out that the world is reopening, it's time for us to uh, take a break. There are some beings who are so fabulous, no matter what form, shape, size, gender, color, whatever they are. Uh, That's everyone, really, but especially Chris Harrison. Jerry Duran. Jessica Fox. Melissa Elliott. James Dozier. Deborah Duberpants. Kathy Phillips. William. Matthew Scott. Wesley Cordell. These folks contributed to our Patreon at the $10 or more level. Patreon.com slash 2G1P. Check it out. Join them. Thank you. And now a real post entitled Urgent Alert in 
West Hollywood. From the Internet's leading neighborhood watch program, Next Door, courtesy of Best of Next Door. Urgent alert warning. All the avocados at Whole Foods are rock hard. Honestly, big problem. Sometimes they're rock hard and then you leave them out and then boom, they're all soft. It's yeah. just like men. Yeah. There's only <laughs> there's only a 43 minute period where avocados are peak <laughs> avocado. Yep, that's true. And you got to catch them. You got to make your guac during those 43 minutes. That's true. Yeah. Avocatastrophe. <laughs> nope. Avocalypse. There you go. Avocado. 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 Oh no, you did it. <laughs> Matt did the best one. I hate that. I know. Me too. I, me too. No, me, no. Allie yeah. set me up. Mm-hmm. She said she she lifted up the ball and I, you know I slammed what? it. I think them. it's yes. time to pivot and pretend that never happens. Also, because our interviewee <laughs> is here. We are so excited to be covering Otherkin today, and we are just as excited to have Anna Valens with us. She is a reporter at The Daily Dot, and she specializes in identities. And this just in, she is now the managing editor at We Got This Covered. Congratulations. Thank you, Allie. It's great to be here, and I'm really excited to chat about this. It's a bit of a personal passion of mine, reporting about Otherkin and all these identities that are very online focused. Well, let's start there. Why is it your passion? What happened? Oh, that's a good question. Very personal start. Uh, <laughs> so for me, <laughs> not just do I write about identities, I write about a lot of like marginalized identities. I'm a transgender woman, I'm a sex worker, I'm a lesbian. And a lot of my experience with all those identities started on the internet and started on internet spaces, everything from like Tumblr to 4chan to Reddit to Twitter. And these are spaces where, especially on Tumblr, people were really allowed to experiment with the way they express themselves and the way they showed who they were as people. And so for me, me, Tumblr in particular was really formative to my idea of figuring out gender, figuring out my sexuality. And I was exposed to also a lot of identities that were very much different from anything I had ever considered that you could be as a person. Obviously, at the start, that was like the idea of transitioning genders, right? But also, I was exposed to things like furries, and I was exposed to things like the kink community. And I was also exposed to the other kin community, too. And from the start, that really fascinated me because the internet was really a space where I realized people could shrug off a lot of the sociocultural rules and boundaries that prevented them from really asking, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be me? What does it mean to feel like I have an identity that no one really understands? So it's really, really hit home for me for the longest time. Amazing. You were just speaking about other ways of being other, I guess, Mm -hmm. and how you're in a lot of communities that are othered. I'm wondering how some of these communities view otherkin or if they even know about it or if it's, you know, prevalent. It's complicated for sure. There's that meme online of the iceberg, where it's like you see the tip of the iceberg and you go darker and the iceberg gets like sort of like darker and deeper and deeper under the water. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, some of these marginalized identities I'm part of are sort of like on the tip of that iceberg, right? Like the lesbian community, I think, is a lot more widely accepted and mainstream these days. Being transgender uh, and being a sex worker is a little bit more underneath the water. There's sort of still things that are considered highly taboo, highly stigmatized to be those things. 
things. Mm -hmm. And actually, a lot of my more recent experience with the other cane community actually came from having transgender friends and being really, really surrounded by transgender people in my online life and offline life too. I would say, especially during the pandemic, a lot of the friends that I was making over Discord were mostly furries that were trans and other kin that were trans. And I realized that for a lot of trans people, uh, not all, but a lot, being trans because you're you're forced sort of outside of the normative idea of what your body and what your identity should be sort of opens doors to considerations about other parts of your identity too, right? Like if I can transition uh, genders, if I don't have to be the gender that was assigned at birth, then I'm also going to question these other ideas about what identities have I been told I have to be, right? You know, we think about, say, like humanness a lot, right? The idea that to be human is something that is innate, that's immutable, you're always human and that's the way it is. But our ideas of humanity are largely cultural. And if we look at, um, you know, say, more recent archaeological evidence that's been brought up about, uh, say, prehistoric views of humanity, the line between being human and being animal is a lot more blurry. There's these sort of ideas, like, say, in some prehistoric cultures, that gazelles are, like, equivalent to humans, that they're one and the same, sort of, socially speaking. You know, in a lot of ways, I found being trans and having trans friends, we also started to question the ideas of, like, what other identities are we sort of just saying that's the way it is and you can't change it, then maybe deserve a second glance. That's so interesting. I watched this show on HBO that was like a British show called Years and Years. And one of the characters comes out to their parents as trans and the parents are like, oh, I wish you told us sooner. Like we noticed you were having a hard time. And, and then they were like, you know, we don't care how you identify. That's totally fine. And then she said she was transhuman and that her real self was a digital self. And it was a whole thing that the parents had never even considered. And they literally deal with it in the show. Mm. Is that something that other can have to do, like come out to their families as being transhuman? This actually reminds me of this concept that I came across when I started actually doing like the reporting on Otherkin, which is called the Boggle Threshold. It was invented by a digital anthropologist looking at online cultures digitally. It's this idea that like certain ideas cross over from being out of this world, like say being gay, and become something that people generally accept as an okay thing to happen. You know, it's, it's, it makes sense, right? Like we now understand culturally in today's day and age that being gay is acceptable and normal and a part of human life. But there was a time when being gay, especially in contemporary modern Western culture, was seen as beyond the idea of possible human experiences. It boggled the mind and it crossed over from mind boggling to not mind boggling. And so the reason why I mention all this in this theory of this boggle threshold is because I think actually that's something a lot of people who are other kin are forced to deal with in their interpersonal lives. They, it's, it can be difficult to understand and to know who to come out to, how to come out, even if they want to come out at all. I think there are some other kin who are sort of just like, eh, it's fine. This is just an identity of mine. It's not that important to me. And I don't need to tell my, my friends and family because they might actually not just shame me for it, but I don't want to have this conversation in the first place about this with them. It feels like it'd be too serious and too traumatizing because despite this not being as important to me. And then there's other people in that community where I think it's like, this is core to my identity. This is really important to me. And I absolutely do need to find a way to talk to my friends and family about this. So mm. uh, I think it's a wide, wide spectrum of experiences. And that's sort of the way things are in the other King community. 
uh, everyone kind of has their own relationship with like even the word other can. Mm-hmm. All right. I-, I got two questions. Okay. First of <laughs> all, the boggle threshold is that like at what point are minds boggled? Sort of, sort of. It's almost like the inverse. It's like there's ideas that are mind boggling, right? Mm. And eventually over time, some of those ideas might cross over to say, you know, the Overton window, the ideas that are socially, socially and culturally acceptable. And the idea no longer becomes mind boggling. So it's sort of like in the 1930s, the idea that you could yeah. transition genders was mind boggling at the time. And mm-hmm. then say around the 1940s, when you have really highly publicized medical transitioning experiences starting to hit American press, in America, it started to cross over the mind boggling yeah. sort of threshold. And yeah. subtly, it wasn't as mind boggling. You people realized, oh, some people can be transgender women. So it's Mm -hmm. sort of like the inverse. It's like you get mind boggled with this idea and then culture decides like, eh, this is fine. Yeah. I also use the boggling threshold in dating, which is, are we going to boggle or are we not going to (laughs) boggle? I was going to say my boggle threshold is when I get like an 11 letter word in boggle. I've (laughs) boggled. Yeah. That's the boggle threshold. That's a good boggle threshold. Pretty mind boggling to me in my opinion. All right. I have another question that I just got to ask and maybe our listeners are thinking this too, but is Isn't this exactly what Republicans have been saying and fearing? And maybe whatever, fuck them, you know what I mean? But like, isn't this exactly what they've said? Like, well, if we let gays marry, what's next? You know what I mean? And look, I'm all for it. What what do you think about that? You know, it's interesting because I think part of this is, first off, that's sort of like an ahistorical argument, right? And when I say that, what I mean is that it's divorced from the human experiences that culturally we already have. I mentioned this idea that in prehistoric times, there was this idea that being human was not quite as immutable as it is now. You know, there was these villages and tribes that really saw gazelles and humans as being a lot more related to each other, having familial connections. Well, I guess my question is, are you worried that Republicans are going to be like, told you so, or like, who cares? Not really, because, you know, this reminds me a lot of what's been talked about with like public sex and kink at pride during pride month which has been like a big thing this year you know Mm -hmm. whether it's okay to like have leather at pride and stuff and for the longest time republicans were saying like if you make gay marriage okay then you're gonna see a lot of leather all over the place in public and (laughs) stuff like that but the question is what is wrong with seeing that in public Mm -hmm. is it such a big deal that like you're gonna see a gay man walking around with a harness in greenwich 30 years ago that's what was happening all the time anyway there's so much public sex happening in public all the time so it's like they sort of push the the argument back in order to make people afraid of something that already humanity experienced in the first place. And the same thing with (laughs) this stuff too, right? It's like, you know, back, especially in sort of the pre-Christian world, and especially in like non-Western cultures and sort of predating Western imperialism, ideas of humanity, of connection to animals, of what your soul is, what you yourself are as a person was a much wider spectrum than we have today. So Republicans Mm -hmm. say that this is going to ruin the idea of what makes us us. And I think it's actually should be reframed because I think these really far-right conservatives are trying to force people into narrow boxes that we as people, as, as individuals, can't fit into because we have a much wider range of identities and experiences than they want us to fit into. It's almost like they're saying, you know, the only way to live is the way that we live. And that's kind of 
insane. It's like, you know, do whatever you want as long as it's not hurting anybody, right? Exactly. You know, maybe we don't all want to eat dinner at five o'clock and call our wives mother, but maybe we... (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to, that's fine. Do that. But like... Shout out to the mothers. (laughs) Shout out to the mothers. How does the trans community feel about it? Because I imagine that some feel a lot of kinship for lack of a better word. And then I'm imagining some feel threatened by the other kin community. Yeah, no, I mean, I think actually you hit the nail on the head. It really is a situation where I think some trans people feel sort of threatened by the idea of other kin or being connected related to other kin. And then some people sort of feel like, you know, yeah, like these are my friends or these are people that I know or just let's question the idea of identity. Let's do it. I think there's there's similarities between those two communities in the sense of that they actually both hold a wide range of ideas and politics and beliefs around a specific identity. Trans people will sometimes feel like they need to really appeal to conservative notions of gender, or they really need to try as hard as possible to be perceived as normal. And there's trans people like myself that are a little bit more like, let's pump the brakes on that idea. Let's sort of question these ideas of gender and sex and political institutions in the first place. So let's raise a little bit of hell in the process, you know, too, right? So I think it really does depend. But I do think there are a lot of trans people who get scared of that because they see their own ability to be respected and to be treated with legal recognition or jobs or healthcare, they feel threatened by the idea of these other identities being linked up with them. So they're sort of like, whoa, 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 I'm not other kin, I'm just this. And here's all this proof that biologically, like actually my brain tells everyone that I'm a woman, so uh, I can't be other kin because they don't have proof and I do. That's scientific, right? And I, I'm a little skeptical of that because I think it's actually really important to look at identities that are either not your own or that really, really, really do make people uncomfortable comfortable and that's sort of like questioning the cultural notions that we consider just part of life that you're not supposed to question. I say, why not question them? Because there's actually a lot of baggage underneath those ideas. And I think there are a lot of trans people who feel the same way as I do. And I see that a lot in my community. And that's how you have a lot of trans people who are also like, other kin are chill. Let's let them in in our spaces and let's celebrate them. But it is difficult because I think uh, there's a lot of trauma wrapped up in the idea of like, I need the government to respect my identity or else I'm going to get hurt. And there's truth to that. And it's really, really complicated. I'm going to quote your own article at you. Is that going to be fun for you? I have a huge ego, so I was just kidding. <laughs> I thought this was really interesting. Well, actually, it's an interviewee, but the quote is from someone you interviewed named Brooke, who says, when I started actually taking steps towards gender transitioning, it felt like there was something missing. I kind of felt like I had left one gender box and just went into another. And sure, this box was a bit more comfortable, but it still wasn't for me, Brooke said. I started examining my relationship to gender and identity in general and kind of identified the lingering dysphoria, dysmorphia was a result of this uncomfiness with being read as human, which led me to start questioning my humanity in the first place. And I love your comparison to, you know, ancient cultures. And I know like spirit animals was a thing, but what does it even mean to be uncomfortable with being read as human? You know, how does someone start questioning their humanity, which when to some extent, like you're a human, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I definitely understand. It's really hard to communicate these things in the first place to people that are outside of that community. In the same way that it was really hard to communicate, you know, being trans for the longest time until eventually everyone reached this group consensus of, okay, we're going to respect the fact that gender is not as immutable as we think it is. So I think that's part of it is literally getting everyone to understand and accept the validity of, say, someone like Brooke's experience. But I like the way Brooke lays out its experiences there because I think a lot of it is that uh, we just don't question the things that, you know, in my case, I'm not otherkin, right? I'm human, but I am pagan. I'm a Hellenist, which is a group, of, which is a religion that's also a very online community that worships and prays to the Greek gods. And so for me, my personal experiences with that are hard to explain to other people because it's not like I can pull out a scientific study and prove, right, that the Greek gods are among us and everyone can then respect my religion and re- respect my identity and, and such. I think it can be really hard to communicate these things to people because there's such this ingrained theory that, you know, in my case, the Greek gods don't exist anymore, they're dead. Or in the other King community's experiences, you know, you're innately human until you prove and say otherwise. So I think one of the challenges that people like Brooke face is that uh, getting people to just trust them and listen to them and understand like what you're saying has some validity to it. And you just seem like someone who would say this out of the bottom of their heart because it's true and not necessarily because you're misperceiving reality. So it's difficult. And part of it is getting people to sort of just trust these people at face value which is really hard for some people because of the way our culture operates. We live in a very human-centered culture, right? And we can think of this outside of other can, right? Like think about veganism, right? This idea that like animals are resources and we use these resources and humans are at the top of the, the food chain, right? When you do look at other cultures, and that's not always the way that homo sapiens have existed in the world, even the idea that homo sapiens are like this own unique category. I mean, physiologically, sure, but the reality of how we perceive others is way more complicated. It it really is about culture. And it really is about the way you perceive others because of the cultural lessons that you have. But what does it mean to feel non-human? And maybe we should save this for our next guest. But, (laughs) but, you know, for instance, I know that sometimes other kin talk about identifying as elves or fairies, but how can one identify, and I'm just genuinely asking, with something that doesn't exist at all. all. The more reporting that I did on this, it actually caused me to think of this from the vice versa angle. Why am I automatically imagining that this is something that doesn't exist and that these people are saying something that's not true? What if, what if, you know, just imagine, like, what if what they're saying is true? And what if this is an accurate perception that they have of themselves? And what does that mean for us as a society and a culture, if that's true? And I think actually asking that question for me led me to changing my whole entire spiritual and religious worldview. It, like, literally brought me to paganism. And that is a religious world where those questions actually are answered in a lot of different um, theological interpretations of the world. So actually, for me, I, I feel like there's sort of two ways to approach the otherkin question, right? For people who are not otherkin, quote unquote, the otherkin question. I feel like you can either see it as sort of like, I really am ultimately skeptical of this experience. Or if this person is speaking the truth and I trust them, 
what does this mean about the way I perceive the world? And I just prefer to think of things in the latter, because in my personal experience of identity, there's a lot of things we believe about ourselves in the world that are just not true, whether it was me and my relationship with gender, or even me and my relationship with sex as a sex worker. So yeah, for me, it was actually just about if I trust these people at face value, what does it mean? Turns out there's actually a lot of communities that have a radically different way of perceiving the world, <laughs> you know, like especially in religions, right? This idea that there are like otherworldly non-human creatures out there. There are, you know, like the Fae is like a, copu- a popular sort of idea or like demons, spirits, stuff like that as living creatures. Sure, there's communities that believe in that. And it actually led me to take that more seriously as a result. We know you've already mentioned some overlap with the furries. Mm-hmm. and what kind of overlap is there, you know, because from our interviews with furries, they love donning their fursuits and they have their fursona, but they don't necessarily believe that they are, but maybe they do. Like, what's that overlap with the furry community? I I actually, you know, I am a furry and I'm basically someone who's not otherkin, but is a furry. And I think it is important to stress that there is, you know, I, there are some parts of the otherkin community where it sort of like gets a little messy, like what identity is a subtype of an umbrella who's considered part of this otherkin community and who's not. But with furries and otherkin, there is really like a sharp distinction, right? Like there's a lot of otherkins that are furries, but furries are not otherkin. It's not sort of like part of the otherkin umbrella. And a lot of furries will really get upset if you lump them in with otherkins, sometimes because of the fact that I just mentioned around transness, right? Like this idea of getting their identities invalidated. Furries spent a long time trying to feel validated and feel like they can be themselves and their interests will be respected. Just thinking about like the way you classify things, right? Like that's that's just not how the furry community operates. So I think it's really important to stress that like otherkin is something that's a lot more about innateness of one's individual self and is about like who they are as a person, whether they perceive that as spiritual or psychological. And furries are a lot more about that interest in anthropological creatures and characters and media and presentation and etc. So that's really, really key. It's about that interest, and it doesn't necessarily mean there's any spiritual connotations. It's just they really, really, really like furry characters. And <laughs> I, I, I say that as someone who does, in fact, really like furry characters. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's amazing. So, I mean, there is some crossover, but it's not necessarily... It's not necessarily all love there, even though there's a lot of uh, interconnectedness. Exactly. I would like to know, as we end, what is the most interesting individual otherkin identity that you have personally met? Hmm. Oh, this is... (laughs) (laughs) I, as in like the most interesting otherkin person? Yeah. 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 I would say, I think it's actually... Cassie, um, who mm. I really Way respect a lot. Way to tee that up. I know, right? <laughs> I'm setting it up for you. <laughs> this was not a plant, audience. We did not know. <laughs> this is not a plant. It, it's not just that Cassie is really well-spoken and really, really someone who has a very strong understanding of the identity uh, and the space and the community and can communicate that to other people. But Cassie is someone who is actively helping other kin people with things such as species dysphoria, this idea of being having a dysphoric relationship with one species and not being having a body that's congruent with uh, who they are. And I really respect and admire that about Cassie. And I think also Cassie just does a great job 
of really not just building outward by trying to get people to understand the identity and respect it, but building inward as well, providing, you know, sort of like a safe place, a safe, being a safe person for people to talk to about their experiences with these things, taking a more therapeutic mindset of how can we help these people without necessarily, you know, leading them into a path of, say, not acknowledging the realities of, say, being someone that's part of like the homo sapiens species physically, right? Because it's a non-physical identity. It's not about the idea that you're physically able to shift your body. That's really not part of the other world Mm -hmm. and is looked down upon to tell people that. It's like you're not acknowledging reality in in that regard. So I really respect and admire Cassie a lot. And it's Mm. just a really, really interesting resource for a lot of people, someone who's able to help a lot of people and communicate both outside of the community and inside. I have a lot of respect for Cassie. Well, thank you so much. And we're going to go interview Cassie. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. All right, everyone. Now we are here with our guest, Cassie Frost, who is a licensed hypnotherapist as well as a recovery support specialist and most importantly for us today is a member of the Otherkin community. Hi, Cassie. Hey, how's it going? We're so excited to have you here because we really struggled with trying to describe what Otherkin actually means and what it is. So would you do that for us, please? (laughs) Well, a lot of people will say that the terms are exclusive and then some people say they're separate, but kind of briefly, I would put it more as an other kin is someone who simply identifies as other and kin being the friendship and saying, Hey, we're all kind of in this together. So It could be someone who identifies with something from mythology, something from a spiritual sense, something from perhaps an animal, kind of like totemism or something like that. But it also could include, say, Therians who typically identify as an animal that exists or has existed. And I should preface all of this as saying, there's no one particular answer when it comes to speaking on other kin or Therians. It's all a little bit subjective. That's really important because going into this interview, I feel like I've uh, just drank an entire pot of coffee and I'm attempting to play Jenga during an earthquake because <laughs> Perfect. there's no way I'm going to get all of this right or to everyone's fine line definition. So I think that kind of is more the thing you might ex- you might identify with. You might say that you are. You might have the spiritual side. You might have the physical side at some way. I, it's, it's all subjective, but that's pretty much the long, the short. Wait, you just said the spiritual and the physical. Can you define that a little further for us? Okay. The physical side's almost a trap in itself by saying that someone might have physical traits or look to have those physical traits and whether it's their attire, their style, how they look, but not have the traits that they completely want. Spiritual, people may find that in their affinity for nature, their affinity for animals, their psychology, their think, how it all goes. A lot of times folks are just not going to have it join up with their physical body default human type body. Sometimes it might actually all work. It goes into a lot of different language and just different descriptions. But for the most part, it the experience isn't always spiritual, but it is uh, a lot more personal. How do you identify? Mm-hmm. 
Well, see, that's where it gets, that's where it gets fun. (laughs) I would identify first as more elf and then it would go to some fox. And then even at times, kind of like a doll or a robot or an object. And how do these all play nice? Well, it's complex, but it's also simple. One is self-determined identity just allows us, allows myself allows anyone to be who they are, which is a wonderful thing. And then when it goes up to, well, hey, biologically speaking, physiological, physiologically speaking, you're this, that, or the other thing, there might not be a congruence. And that's okay for what most of the other kin and Therian community can agree on is it's a bit of a challenge to navigate that, to kind of have both. But, you know, there's a way to still be together within that. And actually, before we go any further, I know you've thrown around other kin and Therian, and I mm-hmm. just want to make sure that we and our listeners know the distinction between the two. So would you mind going there? Sure. Other kin might be sort of an all-encompassing term, yet some people like to make a separate distinction. Other kin being more mythological, assumptive races such as elves and fairies and dragons. And Therian is typically aligned more towards animals that are in existence or have existed. Wolves and foxes and perhaps felines and dogs or something that may have gone extinct, like perhaps a dinosaur. Yeah, yeah, that's real. That's really great and clear. So thank you. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> you mentioned your identities, and can you tell us how you discovered each of those? And and how what does it mean that you f- that you feel that you are an elf or a doll? Like, what does that mean? Okay, so everyone's born. You wake up, and hey, it's the world. This is your life. This is your experience. So for myself, it would be just growing up, doing things that anyone would do when they're growing up as a child and sort of going, hey, you know, I I think I really like nature and I really like these things and I really like my surroundings, but I don't like it necessarily. I don't think I'm seeing it quite the same way as other folks are. And you kind of get that kind of an opinion going. And then there's all these little clues. And then there's these cultural points that come in, whether it's movies or whether it's books or whether it's comics or cartoons. And you're starting to see fantasy lore such as elves and you're seeing different fantasy environments. I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. So there was a really healthy science fiction environment. But I wouldn't say that was necessarily an influence. It's more like hey, that's an identification. I can really relate to some of these things. And some of the more off-the-beaten-path stuff, classic poetry, myth. I never actually got into reading like Lord of the Rings or anything, for instance. Tolkien mm. isn't in my background. I found it in other ways, the identity and identification, that togetherness. And it just seemed to resonate. And at the same time, also, the internet's happening from that connecting to others point and saying, hey, I'm feeling this, I'm noticing this. And and there you go. After a while, you get to people who say, yeah, you know, that experience isn't uncommon. We can really relate to that. We identify as an elf. They identify as a, you know, a lot of people start identifying in ways based on different archetypes, different stereotypes, different community aspects. 
And some of those are individual, some of those are collective. So that's how it sort of came up to an elf. Fox always had the affinity for foxes, really felt connected and attached and saw myself also dually sort of having those animalistic traits. A little bit more influence from like, say, Japanese mythology than say European mythology on foxes. And also, I guess, even indigenous Native American cultures. So that Mm -hmm. was kind of interesting. And the doll aspect, you know, it would maybe be something between aesthetic type things and also perhaps technological and just sort of classical toy object things. It's interesting how we can sort of self-identify and create our, our spaces and ourselves around our world and our environment. But they all came together in what I am today. So I'm interested in how you sort of explore that side. Was there anyone who is maybe older than you or further along in their journey than you when you are trying to delineate or identify what your other kin identity was that sort of helped you? That's well, I'm like, well, actually, there's no one in particular, just a lot of folks at large, more in the 90s, looking at spirituality, looking at like pagan culture and Wiccan culture and all these Celtic, there's, you know, a big boom of Celtic things in the 90s. There was a lot going on. So those were influences and drivers. And of course, the discussion groups and the chat lists and chat rooms. I, I came alongside Furry, right? around 99, 2000, but I didn't identify with furries and furs. I identified still as an elf. And so I was like, here I am. This looks like a cool party. Can I join? It's it, You got something good going on here and I'm down. But also in medieval fantasy kind of role-playing groups, have I played D&D? Absolutely. <laughs> and also, the, you know, live action role-play, there's different groups. And so that, that culture, those cultures had elves as much, you know, where you could get, you know, mm-hmm. get your ears all teased out and everything and sort of, (laughs) I mean, the aesthetic is part of it, but also just relatability. And I found it that just talking to people and not being told, no, you're, you know, you're just way out there, just forget you, that didn't happen. And I think that's what allowed the conversations to grow from there. So although there wasn't a one person that reached across, I don't necessarily have that distinctively in my head. I had several pe- meeting several people and bonding with them, which I think actually is kind of an interesting reflection on the community of like kin. It sounds like you had a warm reception into it and you had mm-hmm. a lot of things that were available to you like LARPing and, and you said there were some online communities that were springing up in the late nineties mm-hmm. that you were able to, to join into. Do you mm-hmm. think that it's still a welcoming place. How has the community changed and how easy or difficult is it for people to, you know, Mm. explore and express their other kin selves today versus in the nineties? Well, uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. (laughs) There are definitely more venues to explore one's identity and that's going to be going to be online still one of the strongest venues. You're going to have your Discord chats, your Telegram chats. Tumblr died a death, but it's still relevant. <laughs> Email lists are effectively shot. One of the longest time lists, uh, the Elfkind Digest wrapped it in 2018 after going so many years. There's all the contributions of Usenet and groups like that today, though 
There's a lot more on still message boards, but it is warm and welcoming in some of the best spaces. Facebook groups as included. There is still sort of a a challenging, a gatekeeping that may occur sometimes about how genuine, how pure, how authentic someone's other kin or Ethereum experience may be in some groups, which I I haven't thankfully encountered, but I, I know it's out there because there's a lot of dissatisfaction with some of the myths within it and people who are trolling or people who are just playing, which honestly can be very difficult when you figure that someone might be discovering this in their teens or even earlier than that, goes to look for a little help, a little insight, a little peer support, and they get shut down or grilled. In fact, that's one of the terms they sometimes use is grilling someone, you know. So have you ever had this happen? Have you ever felt this? It would be a little intimidating, but for the most part, most places are very, very much supportive of self-determined identity and taking in folks as they are. Along those lines, we know that you do some of that work professionally, Yeah. so I was wondering if you could talk about that. Yeah, so I did IT and computers for many, many years. It doesn't matter if you're an elf or you're a wolf. If you don't pay the bills, you don't get the house, you know, whether that's a, whether that's a throw to capitalism or not, but you know, Hey, if you can, if you can dodge capitalism and be, you know, a badass wolf or a badass elf and just, you know, screw the rules, please let me know. I'm all for this. And I think the rest of us might want to know too, but <laughs> that's, that's the start of things is you, one thing I did realize is that, Hey, I think I have pointed ears in this field, but I, I somehow, I, I still got to get the same crummy retail job to start things off. So <laughs> to get into the other part, how that goes is I've done hypnotherapy, certified hypnotherapist, and also like private practice, and also got into recovery support specialist, peer recovery. That's a wonderful group of folks who use lived experience to help people overcome addiction, mental health challenges. And we work that usually in conjunction with the medical field and clinicians to advocate for folks and advocate ourselves having gone through different experiences to help others. So uh, I guess this is more of like an extension of that. I found out that I wanted to start getting more into the mental health field away from my previous experiences in IT and computers and paying the bills that way. Now, having been doing this for a while, I find that informally, sometimes I can help people by saying, hey, if I used something like hypnosis, very low pro, you might be able to feel that phantom tail. You might be able to feel your fur or feel your ears, or you can know in you that you are who you are and have a better alleviation of sometimes the stress and anxiety of being kind of a flavor of dysphoric. There's a big push for species dysphoria and that actually is good and people like want this to be a diagnosis, but look at where we're at with say trans culture and where we had gender identity disorder. It was in 
the diagnostic, uh, the DSM, and they took it out. So why don't we just skip the step where we get it recognized so we can then fight to have it taken out and just roll with it. Uh, support people <laughs> Support people where they're at now, give them positive vibes, see what the, the, the biomedical and uh, morphological freedom, can we make 3D printed tails, for instance? Is that going to be a, a, an awesome, cool new future? If not, what can we do now? For recovery support specialists, I have different groups, like one is Hearing Voices Network. I'm a facilitator where People can come from all over since right now we're doing things online and virtual. But yeah, it's where people hearing voices. I wouldn't say it's just hearing voices, but having um, different experiences, different beliefs, different perceptions. And that would fall in line with folks who might be other kin, who might be Therian. And that's not to put a mediological pathologizing angle to it. A lot of people would just check out at the mere mention of that. But spaces where people are peers and can talk to each other and help like people do all day on Discord and so many other forums is stupidly, crazily, amazingly, wonderfully valuable. And that's why we love it so much. So things being things, it's kind of an outcropping of what I've always learned by finding these groups, being a part of, and going on in a professional way. Oh, so many things just mentioned. Okay, okay, okay. All right, let's start with 3D printed tails. How is technology helping people feel more connected to what they believe is their true form? So, for instance, I imagine VR might be really big for that. Like, what can you go into more tech? Absolutely. Yes, people are using VR. There's a wonderful article and hopefully within the show notes, all I can do is just go with, I go with everyone knows how to use a tail. Um, Briefly, that one is a, was a study where they put people up into VR and they got them set up and they put a tail on them. Uh, it, it was in the VR environment as well as on them. And they were able to manipulate, control, and feel very comfortable in moving the tail and explained it as being like it is right there. I worked with hypnosis, stage and recreational, and help people feel their tail. And I myself have felt it. It's very interesting to feel your center of gravity shift and sort of feel some very cool sensory perception things going on. I think it all harkens back to things that are hard-coded into instinct and evolution. There's probably some genetic and physiological and psychological throwbacks in there. Is that going to be for everyone? But no, but I think it kind of connects with where we're at now. 3D printed tails. They also have another person who's making tails for people to help restore balance. Just much as we're printing bones and different medical appliances, we see that that could be a future. Where it goes into, can you eventually think about getting fur and things like that? We'll see. It's just the beginning, uh, at the tip of the iceberg. But it's becoming every year a little more work in that direction. So staying a little bit along the same lines of like, how important is it, you know, if we can eventually print 3D tails that are functional, like how important is it that people's outward physiology reflects their, their other kin identity? 
that's going to be subjective for everyone. Uh, but I know for some f folks that I know that it would be not inherently essential. They are who they are with or without say a tail and they can kind of work within the context of their body their humanoid form whatever you will they can deal with their dice roll in that particular way and there's people i know that are in their own words very dysphoric very upset getting into like suicidal ideation and and not finding relief in most anything they do sometimes that can be alleviated with prosthetics that could be done with piercings dress body mods costumes fursuits it goes a lot of different ways but to have a medical type intervention cosmetic um or even functional something more integrated would be overwhelmingly positive and it would definitely give people a much better quality of life. Uh, there's a lot of different affirming surgeries now for people, whether it's someone who wants to restore their hairline or to adjust whatever traits they were born with or ended up with. It's mm -hmm. just another category, another group of great people who want to do more in their experience, in their existence, and get their outward appearance to match with that. So I think it would be absolutely beneficial, and I'm glad that we're making progress. Is that that's beginning to happen? Not in any large scale, because the medio ethics of it all are a little bit caught up, and also we're a little bit behind the technology curve. So it is getting closer. I mean, people like if you're an elf, you can get someone who will surgically alter your ears would it be necessarily someone who's licensed perhaps not perhaps so i don't know every aspect of where people have gotten their modifications but it, it, it is there for other people that are more complex i haven't heard of like say fur grafting or transplantation or perhaps some form of tail of like either like an exoskeleton or something more integrated but the hope is there and you hear more and more projects getting a little closer every day including people with degrees in this and pitching it to universities and stuff but again it comes into community consensus ethics uh, monies and a reluctance of the world at large to go a little further in this direction is there a danger that these communities could be exposed to something like the scientific community or medical community, like experimenting on them because, you know, they're, they're in an othered community that is looking for, you know, confirmation and affirmation? Wow. That is <laughs> so relevant, so deep, and so thought evoking that it's it's nice work, Lindsay. The, oh my gosh, bravo! We'll keep her. We'll keep her on the show. She's a new host too. Ah, <laughs> loving it. Well, congratulations. So thank you. What I would be thinking about uh, with that is absolutely you would definitely not would you want to be the first in line it's like you know who's paying the hospital <laughs> bill uh you know is this a study is this my choice who, you know who came before you know there's so many yeah. dystopian type situations wait 
let's get away from even dystopian, crappy circumstances in history where people mm-hmm. have decided to screw around with people based on some trait or aspect or some inequality where they're going to say, you know, you, you know, I am here to help you. And you go, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Kids get in the car. Uh, you know, yeah. it's just that kind of thing. <laughs> so how would we want to manage that? I guess we'd have to be hoping that where is the scientific interest? It'd have to be well represented in the actions of including members of the community, really seeing what the scientific interest and, you know, again, it usually comes down to money and control. Are people just getting people in there to suppress them? Uh, are they, mm. are they, do you just get someone who's in there to tink- tinker around uh, and really vetting and truly getting that transparency of where this comes from? Does it come from the heart? Does it come from the wallet? Or does it come through more nefarious, suppressive forms? Or does it come from a really maligned place where it's really just truly experimenting on people Mm -hmm. because they're, you know, willing? Is it a bait and switch kind of a scenario? So, I mean, that would be kind of cautionary to anyone in any community, especially other kin. I think the folks that are in, that are part of that now, I I don't know if Anna got into it, but in the article that Anna did, Freedom of Form Foundation, which is mostly people that identify within the community. There's Alt-H. There's a lot of other organizations and informal groups across that are looking to research and branch out. Should that evolution come into, hopefully, um, the right institution or organization, the transparency is there, you know, that does hopefully offer a lot of future for safe ways to explore mods and alterations and making changes that'll help someone out. Again, it's it's a little scary if you think about it, because we've seen it. We've seen this. We've seen very scary science fiction and very nonfiction. So yeah. I guess tread cautiously anyone who wants to go in on that. But, should, you know, I, it does, I don't think that the people that are doing research work and also identify or support the community should be dissuaded. I was just wondering about how Otherkin is represented in like films and television. And, you know, they're not necessarily referred to as Otherkin, but now that you know, I've met you and I've talked to Anna. It mm-hmm. seems definitely like that's the kind of community they're representing. And I was thinking specifically of Orphan Black, if you've seen that show. I haven't seen or- Orphan Black. I did happen to just throw it up on my screen to sort of get a quick peek at it. To my recollection, I didn't consume a whole heck and lot of media. I'm trying to think mm-hmm. of any kind of examples. I mean, there's a lot of different sort of transformation type moments with anime. Also seeing movies where there's no transformation, but that's usually a, a, a fiction environment. I'm trying to think of one that might do, uh, was it Carnival Row, which is a bit noir and mm-hmm. it's a blend of humans and creatures with ex- you know exotic homelands. And that would probably be like an other kin type reality that has, I guess, the mixed reality of what it might look like. And, you know, with Orphan Black, I, I think what we've seen over time in other kin communities is that fantasy portrayals are and media portrayals start the conversation or start the thought process for the way someone identifies and then they come to the community and they they want to learn a little bit more some of those folks again trollish some of those people have heavily media biased opinions 
it's it's not necessarily bad, but it, it's definitely not bad. It's just sort of where's your genuine factor? Where's your sincerity at? And it's not to be exclusive. It's just trying to, I, I look at it as a point of trying to understand where someone is at. Uh, other people might see it as exclusion. Like, oh, oh, you saw a teen wolf and now you think you're a wolf. So, you know, that's, well, mm-hmm. you since you saw it on a media or a TV show, that's really not finding it on your own. So, you're not like a true, you know, whatever. And I think that's absolutely crap. I think that you're going to have influences of media and culture and, or something that just speaks to you and you're going to want to learn a bit more and you're going to hit the net and you're going to come into groups and contact. I would only hope those places would be uh, accepting and understanding. But the portrayal of media has, I think, been improving and it comes into reporting and newscasting. It was a little bit like the some media sources really back in the early late 90s early 2000s and in some cases even today media trashes furries and you know gamers or folks into anime or larpers and then as the culture goes on and they see the width and breadth and the, the the like the dignity and the creativity and how they contribute to the world then they're like okay maybe we had a wrong idea okay they're actually just like us but you know they have a different take on what they is their reality so but it's still valid and still good so i'd hope that that would be prevailing more than um bad media so speaking of furries and and all that um i know that fan art is really big in some of these communities so does Mm -hmm. that come into play with other kin where people are really drawing and visualizing their ideal form oh i mean absolutely just to clarify, when I when I talk about furries, you can be a furry without being a theory, and you can be a theory yeah. without being a furry, and you can be both or be neither. Fan art is art, absolutely. Uh, visual depictions of ourselves and our identity are perhaps the strongest form of engaging who we are. A lot of people also get to explore their other kin identity, not only in that way, in dress and models and creating worlds, role-playing, like you say, you're going to see it on Second Life. You're going to see it in different games online. This is how people find ways of branching out. So fan art and these worlds for people to explore or just say a reference sheet or their own picture of themselves or getting a commission that way could all be ways. So absolutely, it's super important. I imagine there could be like a... Uh, an other can portraitist, like like if there's a really good tattoo artist, people like share their work, and then people want to go to them. Is there someone who is known throughout the community to be able to really see your other can self and then depict it in in a painting or a drawing? New business idea. <laughs> Perhaps a new marketing idea, but I would call them the artists and creators that I've been enjoying for as long as I've come to, say, the furry fandom or deviant art or any other place. You talk to someone who really gets it because their art represents it, and they may even identify that way, and you just talk to them. You just tell them the wonderful world and the wonderful things that you are and your traits, and they draw. And that is pretty much as easy as it, it gets. So to say mm. that there's an exclusivity of someone who follows along that line, uh, thankfully that it is such a 
large world is that there's so many great artists. There's so many great creators who live that. In fact, that they, they empathize with that themselves that, you know, your actors, you know, your actors, you make <laughs> great beings come to life fictitious and real or somewhere in between. So mm-hmm. it would be just much as they do with their medium so and their skills. So, yeah. In what ways are other kin fulfilling their dreams, fantasies, what have you, not virtually, but in the real world? A lot of different ways. We, again, they're role-playing, they're interacting. Some people prefer to just do it in certain games. Um, real world, it, it's, I'd like to say maybe say the, the real, the, that's the whole thing, the offline and the online presence, like it usually comes down to this online offline thing, but to kind of not get into that trap, it's going to be dress, attire, perhaps different mannerisms, the way they carry themselves in public, the people that they get together with, is it maybe meets, camping, campfires, small, smaller conventions, meeting at a larger convention, but hey, we're going to get the, you know, the other kin group together. Uh, Therians might have a howl where it's usually like an outdoor or a weekend event. Maybe they'll go hiking, get a fire together and just, just be them and just chill and not have to worry about some of the, you know, the judgments or some of the, uh, realities or some of the limits of form or the world they live in so it'd be you know meeting up it would be just doing the things that one can do to the extent that they can do it and what about for you personally for going back to my identities where does that fall for me i would think it would fall in you know the aesthetics of makeup, prosthetics, costuming, different dress, different costumes I have, different accessories I have. You know, would I have an ear and tails? Sure. Would I have elf ears? Yes. Would I be able to do, would I have different things that say different props and different items that evoke more dollish feelings or more mechanical feelings? You know, what are my feelings on a pocket watch or perhaps a wind up music box, those kinds of things. And how would I do that? Well, maybe I might have a different dress or attire. Again, uh, some of the things I mentioned before. So that's kind of how it is for me. And then also having people around you that accept you for who you are and relate to you on these levels. I guess one follow up question to that Mm -hmm. is what do you think the line is between like preferences of dress versus like this is an identity? Self determined identity. I I guess it's that, you know, I've done different kind of presentations at at different uh, events and on sort of how the like neurodiversity and what I call sometimes persisting identity, where if someone's like, okay, I I notice you're like wearing certain things that make you look like a cat or a fox. Is that just because you have an affinity for them? Or is that because you are a fox or you identify as a cat? And so it would be really asking someone how it is for them. If you see someone wearing a tail all day, they might just say it's fun. I just like to goof on things and having people go, Are, is that a tail I see? And just kind of pull people out of their, 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 their groove and, and kind of disrupt, mess with people a little. Or is it something a lot more sincere? So again, 
it'd be checking in with the people that you think might be vibing this way and saying, Hey, I'm noticing this really cool thing. I've really heard that you, I've heard about other kin and Therians and just people who identify like this. You don't even have to use labels or terms. I mean, what does it mean to you? And uh, if anything, you'll have an appreciation of something fun they're doing in their world, which might not be other kin or Therian, but also could be something a whole lot more. And that's really cool because we're going to learn more about someone's worldview and just take a look at how this is all of us. I guess that's the quick way for a more complex question is what's the line ask people and see how they determine it because that's going to be on them. Yeah. It's kind of like some people just like wearing dresses, but they might still identify as male. Some people might really like wearing a tail, but they still identify as human. You just never know until they tell you. Yeah. Is there a place where someone who might be interested in exploring a different side of themselves or who haven't really really delved into that deeply, a place where they could go to sort of help themselves figure things out? Is there a place you recommend? Oh, geez. I think it's been a collection of places over the years because it's always a moving target. Do I say at large, the internet? Kind of. (laughs) In Anna's article, there was references to freedom of form. There was Alt-H. These are groups that do have Discord presences. They Mm -hmm. could be a good starting point. There's different communities at large, such as, uh, you know, different spiritual communities, if that's how things align. And also the furry community, I found to be a little more accepting at large of different theory and other uh, topics. But I would explore the internet, you know, you're going to go into some places and get a, a variety of different views and viewpoints. So, you know, are we Googling? Yeah, I guess we might be. <laughs> so, Cassie, thank you so much mm-hmm. for being so willing to share with us and and being so open. This was awesome. Sure. It's my pleasure. Thank you. My question is still, where is the line? Yeah. Well, you you know, know, I've thought about it with things not related. You know, when I think of when it's someone who wants to be a fairy or an elf, I'm like, that's great. That that's not infringing on anyone. That's not like Mm -hmm. claiming a community that you were not born into. My issue is like when people want to be transracial. That's that like is my exactly what I was thinking. Line. Like what's her <laughs> name? Rachel Dolezal, who yeah. was a white woman who became head of an NAACP branch and was like, I identify as black. Right. Or That's, Michael Jackson, who was clearly hmm. like moving in that direction. It's yeah. just like he you know, was so famous for so long, he couldn't be like, I'm not black because we all know. So it's sort of that kind of thing. When people eschew their like historical communities, I guess, as opposed to things that are personal. I guess that's what it is. Like, yeah, there are things that are personal. Like if I identify as an elf or a cat or a man, you know what I mean? That doesn't affect anyone but me. Why can't I just live my life? This is what's true for me. But if what's true for me is, you know, I'm actually a a tall Filipina person, that's not the case for me. (laughs) I'm a short black woman. (laughs) And it means so much about who raised me and where I came from. 
even if all of those things I don't agree with and I can choose not to identify with them. Mm. Like for me, I think race is the part that's like the scariest. Right. That like, and I think are we just going like, to be like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where do you draw the line? Right. Cause I, I feel, yeah, it's really tough because it's like, you're not hurting, but where's the line? Right. Even with transgender stuff, like something that's tough for me is like, sure, if you feel like a woman, I, you know, I don't know what it's like and I know enough. I know that I don't know and that's enough for me. And mm. the reason why I feel like a woman is because I grew up with a twin brother. And so I saw I was it's you see, you know, it's not like, oh, he's allowed to do more because he's older. Like I I. To me, like, I feel like a woman because of getting my period at, you know, like 10 or 11 years old. You know what I mean? There's all these things. So it's really tough because for me, it's a lived experience. But Mm -hmm. anyway, and then I feel like once you get into racial issues, it's like so much I imagine of being another race is that the world literally sees that on you from the time you're a child to an adult. That's exactly that. That's my question for, for you both. And and maybe, and specifically for Lindsay, is there a line? Do you perceive a a difference between a self-determined identity, which were were, uh, Cassie's words and also some other identity which tends to manifest as race in our in our world and in our culture because other people will look at someone and say yep you are this you are this and that is society attributing because like genetically speaking and i I hope i'm not speaking out of turn like there's i'm going to put air quotes around this there is no such thing as race like genetically scientifically we are all 99.9 percent identically the same but it's a societal thing Mm-hmm. that is happening here is that yeah. what do you think about that well you know i okay so here's the thing that i think my friend helped me see as far as like you know in your family if you know if you have kids all you want them to be is healthy and happy right and and then anything beyond that is probably more about you than it is about those kids right so mm-hmm. like if my kid came to me and was like i'm you know if my sis boy child was like you know i'm a girl i feel it in my heart and i know this is like what's right for me you know, it it doesn't mean anything about me for that to be true for for her, right? And if I can support my child in that way, that's the best way to do it. But if my child came to me and said, I'm not black, I would truly think I had failed as a parent mm. because that's society telling that child like blackness is bad or it's better to be something other than you are because you know, like you said, if we really are 99.9% the same, then why would a child feel Well, Lindsay, white? what about the what about a white child who feels black? Yeah, I, yeah, I was going like to ask. Like the, the like the Rachel Dolezal situation. Right. That's right. that's extreme appropriation. It's like you need to figure out mm-hmm. how you can appreciate another culture without having to claim it or own mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I don't like, disagree with you. I'm just I'm curious though. Where's the line? Like, how can how can we theoretically I think that's the line. tell that's other kids? Only line. Yeah, like I just if, if it's 
It's it's something that doesn't affect another community. For a white person to say that they're black, that affects that whole black community mm-hmm. for them to usurp that. Because for, the entire for, rest of society looks at that person, Rachel Dolzar, for her entire life and says, yeah. all right, a white person. And then all of a sudden she's raising her hand saying, nope, I, I'm different. That That is appropriation as you uh, yeah. describe. And, and even her growing up as a white woman helped her feel entitled to get to be the leader <laughs> of the funny. NAACP. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, right. That is the case. So, yeah. Right. So, you know, if she were a black woman, she, you know, might not have felt that level of entitlement, you know, who knows, mm-hmm. but we can't know because everything up until that point was like, you're a white lady, you can get whatever you want. And so she did. And she got that by being black. And here's the thing. Honestly, I think we're a little bit too hard on Rachel Dolezal because she did actually eschew her privilege to try to better a community that she felt connected to. But homegirl, you done did it wrong. You need to figure out how to do what you can do as a white lady. Be the white lady you are and not the black lady you want to be. Yeah. 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 Yeah, No, I mean, I agree. And I think it's a really articulate distinction that you just drew. I think it's going to be real tricky in real life for other kin to say I'm this other identity and then for transracialism not to, I don't know. I think it's gonna be, I agree with you. And I think I'm, it's, it's tricky. I'm curious. You know what I mean? Elves are not a marginalized race in real Uh, life. So if you want to be one. It doesn't affect another community for you to be an elf. It doesn't affect the Fox community is going to live their whole Fox lives, not knowing that you are also a Fox. You know what I mean? Okay. Wait, 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 wait. I'm teasing out some philosophical threads here that I think are worth talking about. We're simultaneously saying Elves are not a marginalized community because they don't exist. So go ahead, be an elf. But if they don't exist, how can you be an elf? Those things are now conflicting with each other in philosophical ways that that then lead me to uh, going into Cassie's spiritual discussion of like, well, do elves exist in the world? I, I I personally would say no in the way that I say, would say God and Jesus and whatever don't also exist. They are mythologies. You know, Zeus does not exist. Um, so is this a mythological spiritual construct in which, and in that vein, we say, if you want to believe in Jesus or Zeus, that's awesome. It doesn't affect anyone. If you want to believe in elves, that's awesome. It doesn't affect anyone. Do I think those things are real? I don't think I will ever get on board with that beyond I respect your identity because I respect you. Full stop. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a different thing than than the racial stuff, I think. Oh yeah. Yes. I, I just think it's going to it's going to be it's going to be tricky. I'm real curious how it's going to play out, but I agree with all the sentiments here. Full stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I mean, obviously it's going to be more difficult for someone to, you know, get oh. fur grafts on their arm and then work at a grocery store than it will be for an elf, you know, to mm. just have pointy ears and work. At, but like, hopefully we're getting to the point where people eventually say, look, if what you're doing doesn't hurt 
anyone or any other group, just do it. And we need to just relax about it. Because mm-hmm. if the person who is showing me uh, my engagement ring is has got fur, I don't care. As long as that rings a big old emerald, we're going to be fine. <laughs> like, For Lindsay's future fiance, you heard it here. No, you know, she don't want diamonds. She don't want mm-hmm. diamonds. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's, there's a lot of interesting things here. Like, cause here's the other question, right? Are you hurting yourself? If you choose to put fur on your arms, that's, that's another philosophical question. For yeah. y'all. I mean, it sounds like, you know, in the future, that's going to be something you really can't quite come back from. Yeah. What do you, what do you mean? Route. Do you mean physically or do you mean like hurting your job prospects or your love yeah, life? You, and what yeah. does that mean? You end up, you know, yes, that you could end up hurting yourself in a lot of ways. I mean, then of course, I guess it brings in the philosophical question of like, well, coming out as gay back in the day hurt your social yeah. prospects. I mean, getting yeah. a face tattoo, I don't see how I that's like that different a, a face, from a fur. face piercing yeah. and I do think something. like when people get face tattoos, like it, it hurts their, you know, some other job and dating prospects. But I don't know. I just think it's interesting, at least philosophically. I'm sort of in the Lindsay camp of like, yeah, if it doesn't hurt anyone, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. But it's it's yeah. definitely like a fascinating uncharted territory that opens uh, there's a it's a lot of like there's a lot of cans of worms, a lot of pa- Pandora's box. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Like it's just you know, it's just a lot. It's a lot. Attorneys general, you know, all these things. <laughs> yeah. Because here's the thing. What if I say that I feel that I am a five ten woman? And I be- I feel that I'm a model, and you know what I mean. <laughs> and Ellie, like, you you're insane to- if you don't think that people already feel that such. way and think that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know, that's like, why we have Instagram, right? That's like all Instagram <laughs> is. Mm-hmm. People being like, mm-hmm. I believe that I'm a model. Yeah, yeah. I I'm positioning cameras and using filters and and posing in ways that represent me, the the me I want to be, and not necessarily the me that I have always been. That's as where's the line? I I think the that this is like the actual issue is that people are not truly connecting with themselves when they say things like i feel like i'm and then put in these superficial things right mm. that are just like that's just not true and that's fine right and maybe it's just not true that someone is a fox either right but if they feel that they're a fox and they want to live like a fox and they want to eat berries and live in the woods that's fine but it all comes back (laughs) to what cassie said it doesn't matter if you're an elf or a wolf if you don't pay the bills you don't get the house and i guess that's what we just have to figure out how we're all just going to pay these bills yeah if we can Mm -hmm. get out of capitalism then we'll be in uh much better shape overall yeah also capitalism It's the devil, but it's the devil we live with right now. Mm -hmm. Well, that's another (laughs) set of philosophical questions we could go down. You know, I think long term conscious capitalism could work, but let's save that for another episode. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, this has been very fascinating. And let us know your thoughts. You can tweet me. I'm at Allie underscore Goldie. A-L-L-I underscore G-O-L-D-I. I am 
on all platforms at The Lindsay Life, T-H-E-L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-L-I-F-E. Ah, you can also uh, join our Discord, discord.gg slash 2G1P. Uh, please join us there. You can hop on Facebook, search for Two Girls, One Podcast. And most importantly, please visit us on Patreon, patreon.com slash 2G1P. If you've been enjoying the show, even giving a dollar would be so, so helpful and wonderful. Ah, you can also leave us. I'm used to Jen doing this part. You can also leave us a voicemail, and that number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. <gasps> leave a voicemail and tell us how much you're loving Lindsay. Give Lindsay your vocal <laughs> welcome, y'all, because I love hearing those voicemails. <laughs> Where's that guy who used to call us while traveling around the world? Where is he now? Yeah. Uh... Where'd he go? Where did it? What, what, what was his country? name? Call us wherever you are, and I'll come visit you. <laughs> she will get on a plane. <laughs> Lindsay and I are going to do a tour where we visit everyone wherever you are because Good. I want to travel. Anyway, Lewis, 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 where's Lewis? Lewis, where in where the world in is the world Lewis? Is Lewis, the listener. <laughs> that tune made more sense than the random one I chose. Anywho, um, thanks so much. Share your thoughts, and we'll talk to y'all soon. Bye. Steal their soul in South Korea, make it that it comes right off the floor. Red seeds of green land, they'll be singing the blues. Well, they never Arkansas her steal the me come from the jungle. Tell me where in the world is Lewis, the listener. Two Girls, One Podcast is hosted by Allison Goldberg and Lindsay Ford, then transformed into a wood elf via arcane magic. I mean, produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Additional editing by Evan Engel. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.